Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. My name's John. I spoke a couple of weeks ago on Solomon and the dilemma Solomon had uh, where he threatened to cut a baby in half in order to pursue justice. So we talked about wisdom and and justice uh, with fairly simple names to pronounce. Uh, Last week, Kelly gave us a wonderful message uh, with Jehoshaphat. Uh, So a little more, you know, intensity in terms of uh, consonants and how we string those together. Today we're back to David, simple name, but it's David and Mephibosheth. So uh, we've, again, got a lot of uh, some words that if you look at the word first and try to pronounce it without having heard it, uh, you can stumble across it uh, quite a bit. But Mephibosheth is the name of uh, one of Jonathan's sons, and this story has to do with with, uh, David's relationship to Mephibosheth. Uh, Now, I ended two weeks ago uh, with Micah 6.8, which is, it may be a very familiar verse to you. Uh, It reads, "'He has told you, O mortal, what is good,' And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And in looking at the story of uh, Solomon and needing to make this decision about a a baby between these two uh, women who were claiming to be the mother of the baby, we discussed wisdom and it took us into the area of justice and with that came uh, a discussion of humility. Today, uh, we are pulling out from this passage as well to look at loving kindness. And a part of this discussion on loving kindness, we don't really leave justice uh, aside. And we also are going to engage deeply in, uh, well, relatively deeply, uh, in a discussion of humility. Uh, But Mephibosheth's humility is something that's going to come out uh, in the text. Uh, I have to thank uh, Louise and the worship team. Uh, The songs they chose were a great lead-in to our, our discussion and uh, a great way to make us think about, you know, what do we do with these Old Testament stories? Uh, and, and a few of the lines uh, from the songs, and now I, I can't recall them exactly, uh, but they had to do with uh, the same God, right? It's the same God. And when we talk about these Old Testament stories, we're not talking about a different God or a God who has changed. Uh, we're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's revealed himself uh, in Christ as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the same God that we're talking about. And a lot of times when people want to separate the Old Testament and the New Testament, they unwittingly fall into uh, a heresy called Marcionism, right, Uh, of separating these two as though they don't have uh, anything to do with each other. And we don't want to fall into that, and we also want to make sure that we understand the relationship of love and justice. We're, We're going to focus primarily on loving kindness today. But to talk about God's loving kindness isn't to somehow paint the picture of a different God than the God of justice that we spoke about two weeks ago. God's justice and God's love are inseparable from one another. And and I think one of the challenges we face in our society is people say, oh, I I love Jesus, I love the God of the New Testament because he's the God of love, but the violent, uh, terrible God of the Old Testament, I'm glad we can leave him behind. (laughs) It's the same God. God is revealing himself to us, and his perfect love and perfect justice are perfectly inseparable from one another. And, and I, I appreciate a Micah 6.8 because it helps us to bring these things together and also challenges us in humility to submit ourselves to this God. So we're going to look at the story of Mephibosheth, uh, David's kindness to him. And in this story, 
uh, one of the things we want to do is we want to take a careful look at the text, especially when we come up to a word like loving kindness, uh, because we can just look at the word love and we can get confused. And we want to look at the text uh, closely to make sure we have a good understanding of what is being discussed here. Uh, David himself may uh, cause a, a stumbling block for us. Uh, because, you know, we know on one hand, David is a man after God's own heart. Uh, Saul was the first king of Israel before Saul. Israel had no king but God. Uh, but Saul was rejected by God, and David was selected. In God's pursuit of a man after his own heart, we receive David. And the story we're looking at is from 2 Samuel 9 today, if you want to turn to that, uh, either in, in your Bible or on a device. Uh, or in your mind because you've memorized everything. Uh, but we're, we're going to look at this passage. And, and this passage is uh, really a place where we can go, well, what does it mean to be you know, someone after God's own heart? Well, 2 Samuel 9 is something that lays this out for us. But 2 Samuel 9 is only one, uh, uh, one chapter of Scripture removed from 2 Samuel 11. And 2 Samuel 11 is where we see David lusting after Bathsheba, trying to cover up his sin with deceit, ultimately committing premeditated murder that had uh, extreme collateral damage. So somehow we've got to hold together David, this, this man after God's own heart, with David who is deceitful at times, David who uh, lusts and commits adultery, David who seeks to cover it up with murder. David, who, if you read further, you're going to read the stories of Amnon and Tamar, two of David's children by different mothers. Uh, Amnon rapes Tamar. Uh, and then Absalom, uh, another child of David's, murders Amnon to try to get revenge. Uh, so something else we know about David, this man after God's own heart, is eh, we can see some instances where he's a pretty lousy father, Right? and where his family is in turmoil and in a mess to the point where Absalom uh, attempts to usurp the, the throne and does for a time, and he has a rebellion on his, on his hands coming from his own son. Uh, we're not going to try to resolve all that this morning, thankfully, right? Sigh of relief. Uh, we're going to focus in on 2 Samuel 9 and some of the places it connects us to uh, elsewhere in, uh, in these texts. Uh, but we're going to focus in on this story and try to, to get a better grasp on, at the very least, what does it mean to be someone after God's own heart. Uh, and so, uh, let's read together. 2 Samuel 9, starting in verse 1. David asked, is there, anyone, uh, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Right? Is there anyone left of this rejected king right, with whom I've done battle? Uh, and now here's David, the undisputed king of Israel, uh, so is there anyone left in this house who I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? If you're not familiar with the story, David and Jonathan uh, have this deep friendship, which actually isn't a strong enough term. They have this covenant relationship. And David is seeking out who in the line of Saul can I show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan. He wants to find someone. Now there's a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and he was summoned to David. The king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. The king said, is there anyone remaining in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, there remains a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mankir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. 
Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. Okay? Uh, essentially, they're, they're telling us already what he did and what obeisance means. He fell on his face. Uh, obeisance is, to, is this you know, physical uh, deferral sign of respect. Uh, it might, we might think of it as you know, bowing or curtsying uh, to someone. Uh, but it is here he's falling down on the ground, falling on his face to show this, this respect towards the king. Uh, reading on, David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, I am your servant. David said to him, do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. He did obeisance and said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I am? Then the king turns to Ziba, and uh, I think we'll, we'll uh, I'll just make note here, there's a lot of repetition in the text, uh, but essentially he puts Ziba as Mephibosheth's servant, okay, he puts him in charge of the land that he's given to Mephibosheth, but again, uh, and, and, and Ziba himself has 15 sons, 20 servants, so he's got a large family, uh, and then in verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Now I want to turn the tables a little bit this morning, and I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody beside you. Okay, we've just read those, and, and actually, Denise, uh, if you want to put the first section of the passage back up, um, but turn to somebody beside you, one, two, three people, and just try to answer the question, what is going on here? What's the main point? So if you were going to draw a takeaway, uh, if you were going to try to summarize this, and you got about three minutes to do it, uh, what would you say, right, at first glance, what is this passage about? What is this story trying to communicate? All right, so let's, let's do that. We're going to take about two or three minutes, so really quickly. Your first blush in reading this, what is this story about? All right, we're, we're a little constrained by time, uh, and also if I give you too much time, you might come up with a better answer than anything I have to offer, and that would be embarrassing for me, right? So I had more time to prep this. Uh, but I, I'd like to get a couple of responses. Just, just in, a, in a sentence or two, what do you, in, in first glance at this text, what is this about? What is Scripture you know, communicating to us here? That God keeps his promises and loves us eternally. All right? Anyone else? We'll just, we'll just pull some ideas. Honor. Honor. Okay. Mercy. Mercy. Kindness. Kindness. Redemption. Okay, now we've gone from one or two sentences and we're just getting one words here. So you can feel free to use a full sentence if you want. <laughs> but these are great. These are key words. Faithful. Faithful. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about covenants a little bit, right? But that idea of honoring a covenant, covenant uh, that, you know, moves forward, uh, doesn't just, it isn't just abruptly cut off. I saw, did you have your hand? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, just what, sorry, uh, one more time? Forgiveness. For, oh, forgiveness? Okay. Okay. Perfect. Again, when you don't need a full sentence and one word works, that's great. Okay, forgiveness. Anyone else? Loyalty. Okay, these are some important words that we're bringing here. And actually, a part of what you're saying and kind of a constellation of, of terms that are distinct, but we're saying, oh, we're drawing these out of this text. That's an important point. Uh, we live in a world where we're told, uh, and, and I don't want to say this too politically, but it's kind of unavoidable in, in some ways, but we're told that all loves are the same, right? That love, there's no difference in loves. Or we hear from some corners of Christianity, love wins, and in both of those ways, there's often a separation of judgment and love, as though they have nothing to do with each other, as though the God of judgment isn't the God of, of love. And the love, the loving kindness that is being spoken about here, uh, yeah, we're... we're to, to try and use one word to encapsulate it all is insufficient. We, we end up with an impoverished notion. And in fact, because of all the cultural messages we get, uh, we hear the word love or kindness, and we give it a really flat meaning. And there's a deep, rich meaning uh, that involves so many of the terms and, and things that have been said here that we need to, to gather from this. So uh, in 2 Samuel and... and uh, you know, one of the main points that I would want to direct us to here is that David is determined to demonstrate covenant kindness, not a random or vaguely uh, defined compassionate act. He's determined to demonstrate covenant kindness. So in this world where we kind of say, well, love means whatever you want it to mean, or all loves are the same, the, the biblical witness, the conviction we're called to is that is not true. In fact, that is unchristian. And, and I'll, I'll up the stakes a little bit and say it's evil. Because when I attribute the love that anybody else, or even if you were just to follow my love and say, yeah, they're all the same. But it's not. God is the font of love. He is the author of love. And what we're getting here, the word used in 2 Samuel uh, 9 here is a word that's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And it's chesed. Okay? And that's probably the best I'm ever going to say that, <laughs> right? Uh, you can see it spelled as hesed, uh, right? But it's this word for loving kindness, and it contains a number of things in it. Uh, so if you were to follow something like, uh, like the Bible Project, they talk about it as a promise-keeping loyalty that's motivated by deep personal care, okay? This is their kind of way of summing it up. Uh, William Vine, who was a, an exegete, uh, a biblical uh, theologian from the 20th century, he argued that there's three basic meanings always interacting in the meaning of chesed. Strength, steadfastness, and love. And without those, you're just offering a weak and impoverished notion of what is being spoken of in this text and elsewhere in the Old Testament and elsewhere throughout Scripture. Uh, chesed, Vine says, is not only a matter of obligation, but also of generosity. It's not only a matter of loyalty, but also of mercy. And he sums it up, he says, it implies a personal involvement and commitment in a relationship that is, is beyond the rule of law, right? Uh, the source of this kindness is God. God is, is where chesed comes from. 
Uh, and we see this in Exodus 34, uh, when God appeared to Moses to give him uh, the law a second time in Exodus 34, he described himself as abounding in or filled with chesed, uh, which we find translated as love and faithfulness or unfailing love or steadfast love or loyal love or loving kindness. But in, in Exodus 34, it says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in chesed, forgive, uh, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, right? This enduring chesed. Uh, yet, and here's where justice is linked, the very next verse, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Uh, and here it's getting to the significance of our sinfulness and the significance of God's love applied to our lives. It's meaningful. It matters. It is covenantal. Okay? And, and covenant can be a term, we might not be super familiar with it because we don't bump into it in a lot of places in life. Uh, we're more familiar with contract, right? Uh, so when I was like nine, uh, I signed some kind of contract to deliver flyers using my little red wagon and walking through the neighborhood. And I think I delivered them two or three times the first week and got my paycheck, I think, on a Thursday for $2.19, right? That was, the con I mean, I, I, we'd made a deal. It was fair. I said I would deliver flyers for the pay they were offering, and that was the pay they offered. I moved on to McDonald's and had a contract with them. And in that contract, they paid me, I think, $2.75 an hour, okay? And if I worked night cleaning, I got $3.25. I've, I've said that to some of you before, right? Uh, this is long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay? But, but that's a contract. Okay? I, I, didn't, you know, I wasn't stuck. It wasn't uh, that I had to work at McDonald's for the rest of my life. Right? It was a period of time. Uh, I didn't have to deliver flyers pulling them in a red wagon forever. Uh, and it speaks to my, my, uh, my father's great humility that he would sometimes do that for me <laughs> as an adult uh, when I had something going on. Uh, but covenant's different, right? A contract, we can break it. They could say, John, you're the worst fry guy we've ever seen on planet Earth. Uh, you're fired, right? Or you've sent out too many Big Macs with no meat in them. You're fired, uh, right? They could say that. Or I said, you know what? I'm leaving to go to school somewhere. I quit, right? Not angrily, but just I'm, I need to be done. Here's my end date, right? Uh, that's how contracts work, okay? Covenants are different. Right? A covenant, even if, if there's negative, if there's, if there's uh, been a rupture in the relationship, a covenant has only one end, and that's fulfillment. So when God strikes covenants, right, those covenants are seen through. They are lasting. And, and that's the kind of language we need to understand that's lying beneath chesed and lying beneath Jonathan, uh, sorry, David's search for somebody from Saul's house that he can show kindness to because of Jonathan. And if you're familiar with the story of David and Jonathan, uh, if you look to 1 Samuel 20, uh, you'll see them striking this covenant together. Now, David had a very difficult relationship with King Saul, and King Saul uh, was threatened by him. King Saul wanted to kill him, tried to kill him by pinning him to a wall with a spear once. And following this, you, you have uh, this uh, you know, uh, covenant striking between David and Jonathan. So in 1 Samuel 20, verse 14, if I am still alive, show me the faithful love of the Lord, Jonathan says to David. But if I die, never cut off your faithful love from my house 
even if the Lord were to cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Thus Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord seek out the enemies of David. Uh, later in that same passage, verse 41 to 42, uh, it just, I'll just read at the end of verse 42, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. So what's going on? Why is David seeking out Mephibosheth? Right? It's not random act of kindness week in the uh, kingdom of Israel. Uh, he's not you know, looking at the polls and saying, oh man, I'm actually not looking that great. I need to do something to kind of up my status, to get a little more favor. Now he struck a covenant with Jonathan and he's honoring that covenant. And actively, he's not having it put back upon him. He's saying, wow, we've been through this turbulent time, uh, but I've got to get down to business. There's a covenant I've struck, and I'm looking for some way to keep faithfulness to this covenant. That's the loving kindness we're looking at here. Right? Do, do you see the depth? Right? This isn't just a, a vaguely defined love. This isn't just David's a nice guy. This is David... A man after God's own heart. Why? Covenant faithfulness. He's going to show kindness for the sake of Jonathan, not just because he loved Jonathan, not just because Jonathan was good to him, but they struck a covenant that he is bound and determined to honor. The second, uh, thing, one, uh, second thing we should pull out here is that Mephibosheth, the object of David's covenant kindness, holds a position of extreme weakness. He's defeated He's disabled, he's demoralized, right? This is the Mephibosheth that we meet in this passage. Uh, defeated, uh, it's kind of summed up that he is from the line of Saul, right? And in the struggle for power, uh, God has anointed David and God has seen David through to victory and that has meant the death of Saul, it's meant the death of Jonathan. Uh, and actually, uh, these references to Mephibosheth, sorry, <laughs> I mean, it was bound to happen that I was gonna stutter on Mephibosheth, right? Uh, Right, uh, we've come to this, uh, uh, every time we see that he's crippled, it's a reminder uh, of the defeat of Saul because Mephibosheth was crippled when, upon hearing the news of the death of Saul and Jonathan, his nurse picked him up to flee, but she fell and fell in such a way to cripple his feet. So his feet are, are a part of this as a, a reminder. So to hear for, from Mephibosheth, to hear that David's looking for him, Right? As somebody who's from the line of Saul, as somebody whose crippled uh, feet are a reminder of the day that his family lost power, right? hearing that David, the king, who's vanquished his enemies, is looking for him, should be disconcerting. It, it shouldn't be something where he's going, oh, fantastic, I can't wait to step up in front of the, the new king for whom I'm a sign of the old regime. Right? Typically, you may expect execution, right? expect to be killed. Uh, in fact, uh, Mephibosheth's uncle, Ishbosheth, uh, also written as Ishbael, uh, he's someone who was killed not by David, but by those who were seeking to curry favor with David. Uh, so uh, we look and see, uh, I want to make sure I have the right text here. Uh, in 2 Samuel 4, 7 to 8, some young men, it says, now they came to, uh, into uh, the house where Ishbael was while he was lying on his couch in the bedchamber. They attacked him, killed him, beheaded him. Then they took his head and traveled uh, by the way of Arabah all night long. They brought the head of Ishbael to David at Hebron and said to the king, here's the head of Ishbael, son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my lord the king this day on Saul and on his offspring. 
Now, something we need to recognize about David, the messenger who gladly brought news to David uh, about the death of Saul, what happened to him? Right? He was killed, struck down by David's order. Uh, Here, you have these uh, avengers going in the kingdom. They're looking for somebody who's from Saul's family. Uh, David has them struck down as well. So it wasn't David's will to seek out Saul's family and eradicate them. But life was dangerous for Mephibosheth simply because people would think that was David's will. Right? It wasn't a safe place to be Saul's grandson. Uh, and, and this posed a great problem for him. Now, so he's defeated. He's a part of that line of defeat. He's disabled. I already said, uh, right, that, that his disability came from uh, being, you know, having his, his uh, uh, feet crippled uh, as his nurse was trying to flee carrying him. Uh, but to be disabled is a problem. The text constantly reminds us. It introduces us uh, by saying, you know, he's lame in both his feet. It closes reminding us he's lame in both his feet. Uh, Mephibosheth pops up other places in 2 Samuel with the reminder he's lame in both his feet, as though it's his middle or last name, right? It's, it's, you're constantly told, here is this guy who is crippled. Uh, and, you know, to add to the problems of being defeated, uh, David doesn't have a great record in terms of, of uh, his reference to people with disability. So if you were to look in 2 Samuel uh, 5.8, right, here David is using disability as a slur. Uh, he's using it uh, in, in, in a, you know, kind of a taunt or a trash talk uh, in battle. Uh, David had said on that day, whoever wishes to strike down the Jebusites, let him get up from the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, those whom David hates. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Uh, what's going on here? Well, if you've, if you've watched uh, Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail, uh, right, this is something equivalent to your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries, right? This, this is a, uh, you know, a taunt. Uh, it's trash talk, uh, right, before battle. Uh, but here, you know, uh, whether Mephibosheth was aware that David used that kind of talk in battle or not, he probably was used to that kind of talk in his life, right? If it's, if it's a way that the king would find common to taunt his enemies, uh, then probably it wasn't David who was the only one who would use that, right? So here his, his, his disability is always before him. Uh, it's something that is used uh, for ridicule. And this leads us to recognize that Mephibosheth is demoralized. And he sums up his own status in verse 8. What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I am? So when we hear the word demoralized or demoralizing, we might think of a, of a sports game uh, a contest, right, where we'd say, oh, that was a demoralizing defeat. Uh, we kind of know what it means, but we don't always think through it, right? But when we say it's demoralizing, it's, yeah, yeah you, you're robbed of your confidence, right? Uh, but even just the idea, why do we use demoralizing? What is moral? What is morality? Morality has to do with human action. To be demoralized is to be someone who can't take action. You might know what to do, you might want to do it, but to be demoralized is to be unable to act, you know, unable to move forward. It's to think of yourself as a dead dog and to have that have a, a physiological uh, component to it where you just can't do it. I know what that feels like. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. 
right? And, and this is, here we see in Mephibosheth, refers to himself as this dead dog. To be a dead dog is, is an insult. This, that's what Goliath, right, when he sees David coming at him, whether he recognized the sling or not, his response is, what am I, a dog? You sent this person to beat me? Right? It's, it's not a, a kind reference. It's not a positive reference. Uh, it's a really negative reference in that context. And it speaks to uh, you know, the position that Mephibosheth is in. Now, I want to distinguish that, this defeated, uh, disabled, demoralized individual Mephibosheth. Uh, but the real strength he has is his humility. Okay? And I want to distinguish those two things. You don't need to be cocky right, in order to be useful to God. Uh, or, you know, you, you simply because you're demoralized, okay, uh, that's something we need to work on. You shouldn't be demoralized, but you can be humble and not demoralized. And we do see a strength in here. Here's this rich strength that we can draw from Mephibosheth uh, without, you know, valorizing demoralization. He had true humility. And we see this in the text. Now, we're going to understand it better in contrasting Mephibosheth and Ziba, right? So here we see, uh, you know, David is looking for someone from Saul's house who he can do kindness to for the sake of Jonathan, and he comes upon Ziba, and Ziba, right, uh, his response, he says, I'm at your service, okay? Or he might have just said, you know, your servant. And we might look at that and go, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a good response to the king. But what is Mephibosheth's response? Here the king's looking for him. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and did obeisance. David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, I am your servant. Verse 8, he did obeisance and said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I am? We only have one of the two recorded as bowing before the king. Ziba, too, is from the house of Saul. He's a servant of Saul. That's why he was brought forward to find Mephibosheth or to find someone from that house. Uh, but we see a distinct difference in the way that they respond to the king. Okay? It's, it's just basic to Mephibosheth's posture that he will be humble before the king. If we were to move ahead to 2 Samuel 16, this is after the affair with Bathsheba. This is after uh, the, uh, uh, the rape of Tamar. Uh, and this is in the midst of Absalom's uprising against David. And who meets David when he's uh, fled from Jerusalem? Who comes out to meet him? Ziba does. And Ziba is bringing him provisions. Uh, he's brought a couple of donkeys, saddled. He's carrying 200 loaves of bread, 100 branches of raisins, 100 uh, summer fruits, and a, wine of, a skin of wine. So he's brought supplies out to David. And the king says, and where is your master's son? And here's Ziba's response. He remains in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belong to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I do obeisance. Let me find favor in your sight, my lord the king. Now, we're going to have to bring this together with another piece, but I'm going to say right here, interesting again, here Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, brings all these things to King David, okay, interacts with him, and once David has rewarded him, he says, I do obeisance. Now, I haven't dug deeply enough in the text, what does that mean? 
to me, it sounds a little bit like on the Muppet movie uh, when the one guy at the end says, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, right? He tells you what he's doing rather than doing it. And that seems a little bit like, uh, like Ziva, right? He hasn't shown this, this deferential uh, servitude, not in the way that his master, Mephibosheth, has to David. And so we move ahead. If we look at 2 Samuel 19, here now David has returned to the kingdom. And it says, Mephibosheth, grandson of Saul, came down to meet the king. Mephibosheth had not taken care of his feet, partially we might say he hadn't clipped his nails, uh, or trimmed his beard or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day the king came back to safety. When he came from Jerusalem, he met the king, and the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, Saddle a donkey for me, so that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He, is, he slandered uh, your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servants among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to appeal to the king? So David's trying to sort this out. Why weren't you there? Why did Ziba uh, approach me? And, and uh, Mephibosheth, who in every interaction we see with him, is with his whole body showing deference and submission and love to David. He says, I was deceived. I asked him to take me, and he left on his own. Uh, and so David, uh, after these interactions with Ziba and Mephibosheth, he seems to go back and forth, not sure what to do. Uh, and so he says, uh, we'll speak no more of your affairs. I've decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And, you know, this gives us a little, it's for us in terms of time, we're thinking back two weeks ago to Solomon dividing the baby. Uh, but biblically, this is prior to that. And so David is sorting through this and says, uh, We'll div I'll divide the land between the two of you. And if there's any doubt left in David's mind about Mephibosheth, here's Mephibosheth's response. Let him take it all, since my lord the king has arrived home safely. Ziba offered obeisance, or at least said, I do obeisance, only after receiving something from David. Mephibosheth took obeisance as his basic and enduring physical stance towards the king. This is how he responded to him. And we don't, we don't learn any more uh, from the text of whether David was using that as a text and, and restored everything to Mephibosheth or not. Uh, but we can read it and recognize what is happening here. And when we compare Ziba and Mephibosheth, we can see more clearly this picture of humility, the great strength that Mephibosheth carries. David's kindness uh, finally bears two divine characteristics. characteristics. It's generous and it's redemptive. And we see this in verse 7. David said to uh, Mephibosheth, Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, generosity, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. Restoration, right? You will be like one of my sons. Not because you offer some great strength, right? The text reminds us constantly, this guy's lame right? But you will be like the strength of my children. You will eat at my table. You will be a part of my family. It is here that we should recognize, if we haven't already, 
the divine and gospel grounding of the covenant kindness David was seeking to show Mephibosheth. We, we can think of a New Testament dead dog, the prodigal son, right, who, you know, in, in his desire for wealth, wished his father dead already so he could get his hands on the inheritance. Well, his father gave him his portion of the inheritance. inheritance. He went off, spent it all, and then finally, as he's envious of the slop that the pigs are eating, he decides, well, I, at least I can return home and be a servant to my father, right? And, and at least be treated like that. And as he's returning home, his dad sees him from a long way off, rushes out to him, and the prodigal son, prodigal means squandering, wasteful, right? Well, the prodigal son is met by the prodigal father, who is squanderous in his wealth and squanderous in his grace with his son, right? There, that dead dog is brought back to life by the love of the father, right? Titus uh, 3, verses 3 to 7, brings us to the heart of this in the gospel. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. In other words, we once were dead dogs. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works or righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We need to get right what love is, what God's loving kindness is. Because if we don't understand it well, then we're not going to live it at all. Right? And sometimes in the church we might say, listen, love is enough. Love is all we need. We don't need to dig deep into the text. Uh, we don't need to think about these things. Just be loving. But the only response to that can be, what is love? And how can I actually truly be loving if I don't know what God's love is? And if I don't have his spirit to strengthen me, to show that love to even those who are closest to me? God's loving kindness does not make uh, Christians into doormats either. Okay? Uh, and we see this, again, here's the same God in the Old and the New Testament. If we were to keep reading in Titus, we would see the instruction right after this description of God's loving kindness to push out those who disrupt God's peace. Right? And I, I'm not trying to make here an argument for broken relationships, but what I'm trying to say is God's loving kindness, God's covenant kindness, has an end. It's flourishing. It has an end of fullness and fulfillment. It has an end of living in God's shalom. That's what his kindness generates. And if, if you're experiencing love and kindness that isn't generating peace, shalom, the right ordering of things, but somebody's telling you this is what God's kindness looks like, then you need to question it. Because God's loving kindness leads to the fulfillment, leads to this wholeness. We need to recognize that. So to summarize takeaways, God's loving kindness reflected in David's actions is conditioned by covenant. It is nothing if it is not covenant kindness that we are reading about here. Human beings apart from God's love are defeated, disabled, and demoralized. We are all the dead dogs that Mephibosheth speaks to. We need to better understand and submit to God's loving kindness so we do not continue to live out 
so that we uh, can, do not continue to live out these three features in our existence. We don't want to hobble along. We want to live in the fullness of God's loving kindness. Any true strength that we have begins with genuine humility before God. True strength begins with submission to God and to one another in God. And any worthy imitation of God's loving kindness seeks to imitate his generosity and the redemptive aim of his actions towards humanity and the world as a whole. Please stand with me. And uh, if you would like, I'm going to pray Psalm 145, uh, verses 13 to 21 as our, as our closing prayer. We are going... Uh, sorry, <laughs> that was my note to myself. <clears throat> The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness. We ask you through your spirit to build it up in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.